Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 Before learning about Aviva IQ, I used to spend so much time managing my guest communications manually. Now, with Aviva IQ's easy-to-use automated service, my workload has reduced by 80%. Did I mention it's free? Automate your Airbnb messages now at www.avivaiq.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another news episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today, we have a new co-host. His name is Noah Nieman. He is the one of the co-founders of Hostfully. And he's also the head of products. So Noah, welcome and thank you for joining. Thank you, Jasper. It's good to meet you. And uh, do you want to give a quick introduction of yourself and uh, your involvement in Hostfully? Sure. I started with Hostfully as a co-founder. I'm a former Apple employee and an engineer and an avid traveler. And when David and Margot, my co-founders, approached me with this idea, I thought it was just fantastic. I had experienced vacation rentals as a renter and a host. And as a renter, especially, I just found the whole arrival process, check-in process, and experiencing the local environment process very frustrating. And you would get there, and there would be this three-ring binder with laminated sheets stuffed with all kinds of different information. And I would actually read it and be very disappointed in the content and the quality. When David and Margo approached me with this concept of a uh, an app that would effectively replace that three-ring binder guidebook, I thought, man, this is just a brilliant idea and I'd love to join the team. That's great. Before we got onto the call, we were chatting a little bit. You recently had a pretty interesting experience during your travels uh, using VRBO in, yes. in France. Do you want to elaborate on that bit? Yes, I'd, I'd found a, a VRBO in France and it seemed like just a beautiful place and the price was much better than I could find for anything else of the similar quality. And so uh, I booked a VRBO. I had also booked two different Airbnbs on the same trip, one in New York and one in Paris. But the VRBO didn't have the VRBO payments enabled. And so in trying to pay for the listing, the owner wanted me to do a bank transfer, which for at a European is very simple and free. And you can do it you know, on your phone. You can do it anywhere. But for an American, is expensive and challenging. You have to do it in a, in a bank. And I wasn't sure if this was a fraud. So I didn't want to do that ahead of time of the trip. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just have to pay her cash because she wouldn't take you know a credit card and she wouldn't take PayPal. And so when I arrived with cash, I thought it would be very convenient to arrive with two 500 euro notes. And she wouldn't accept them. <laughs> she said they were too large. And she then asked me to go to the local bank to exchange them for smaller denominations, which on the afternoon in France, you know, half the banks were closed. The other half wouldn't exchange them because <laughs> I wasn't a customer. So it was a very challenging. It just points to, you know, the challenges that a host and a guest will have when you're not using 
you know, Airbnb or you're not using the VRBO payment system and you have international guests, if you compare it to staying at a hotel, this would never, ever happen. I mean, it's just something that I think, you know, hosts should be aware of to try and make their accommodations more efficient for, for foreign guests. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, what I don't understand is if you book on VRBO, like you're supposed to pay through the platform, no? I've never used you can. it. You but- can. You can, but she didn't have that enabled. Oh, so um, there, there's an option to... There's an option to do that, yeah. And it's oh. relatively new. Interesting. So in, in the past you know, years when I would use VRBO, frequently I would pay with a check or pay with PayPal. But those wouldn't work in this instance either. So really cash was my only option. And how does VRBO make any money then? They make money just from listings. So the host pays a fixed amount to just put the listing on VRBO. Right. Got it. Okay. I had an interesting experience too. Uh, uh, I stayed in New York for two and a half weeks, paid about, what was it? Quite a lot of money for it. I mean, I was sharing it with a friend close to $3,600 for a, what was it? I think a two week stay. It was a really nice apartment in Soho, but then... After I left, the host hit me up with a request for three hundred dollar cleaning fee. Wow! Now, now he he didn't he didn't charge a cleaning fee to begin with, so I figured the cleaning was just included in the price. But yeah, he sent me he sent me a request for another three hundred dollars, and I I responded and I I told him over text. I told him you, know, you should be charging a cleaning fee uh, ahead of the stay as you know separately if you want to have a cleaning fee and otherwise it's included in the price but then he he was telling me that the apartment was dirtier than what you could expect or something so hmm. i don't know exactly what that means but anyway i've never had that happen before so we'll see how it happens maybe he's gonna involve airbnb and trying to claim that money we'll uh, we'll see how it goes but yeah. uh let's dive into the news of this week i think there's one story that's kind of been dominating the news and that is the recent ad that the hotel industry in new york has created i think it's going to air actually today the day of this recording july 31st you know by the time it's got live it's probably been airing for a few days what they're doing is they they're trying to Again, put Airbnb in a very dark place. They're trying to relate it to terrorism now because apparently one of the bombers in Manchester, when there was a terrorist attack there, that person apparently stayed in an Airbnb. And now they're using that to sort of instigate some fear in people and say like, you know, the Airbnb is dangerous. Like, you don't know who's in your building are you safe? And that kind of stuff, like really, it's kind of crazy. But what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a giant mistake for whoever's paying for this ad. The risk that this comes back to, you know, reflect negatively on them, I think is rather large. The article I read actually stated that the terrorist did stay in a short-term rental, but it was not an Airbnb. And so the link is even more tenuous at best. I I don't know. I, I uh, that's a very good point, and, and indeed, I I didn't see that, but it's actually stated in the article. It wasn't an Airbnb unit, even. But even if it was, I mean, has a terrorist ever stayed in a hotel? Exactly. Right. I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, it's right. I think. It, or or eaten at a fast food restaurant or 
bought gas at a gas station or rented a car or done all kinds uh, of things. Took took the train, took a bus, went yes. to went to the supermarket. <laughs> right. So I guess the message is uh, we should all just uh, when we wake up in the morning, we should lock the door, stay in your bed the whole day because otherwise, you know, you're not safe. It's just kind of yeah, ridic I, kind I, of ridiculous. I, I, yeah, I'm surprised that someone actually paid to make this ad, let alone run this ad. And I'll be surprised if it doesn't get taken down very quickly after it goes up. Yeah. There's an Airbnb spokesman, Peter Scottenfels. He responded to the ad. He said it's an outrageous scare tactic by the big hotels, who themselves have a long history of lodging people who engage in acts of terror. You know, a while ago, the short-term rentals didn't really exist. So, you know, there was only one place to stay and, and that's the hotels, right? So he basically said that some of the terrorists involved in September 11th uh, were staying in hotels, the terrorist attack in Paris. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes down, but I think they're kind of crossing a line here. Yeah, I agree. Do you have anything else to share on this topic? No, just to reiterate that, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if the ad doesn't run for very long, if it runs at all. Right. There's another news story about one of Airbnb's competitors in China. Uh, it's called Tiju uh, Tujia, and it's growing very, very fast. It saw triple-digit growth since 2016, which means that it's growing much faster than, uh, than Airbnb at this point. And one of the interesting things about Tijua is the way that they distribute. They've tied up with WeChat, which is a very popular messaging app in China. And they've also partnered with Ctrip, which is the biggest travel website. I guess you can compare it maybe to something like Priceline or Kayak or Skyscanner. They're using all these different channels to, you know, to distribute the listings. And I think that's probably what contributes to their, to their growth. And I was kind of thinking, be interesting for Airbnb. I don't, I don't know why they're not doing that, but if you're searching on all these search engines, you're searching for hotels, you know, why not add vacation rentals? Like Google recently actually started adding vacation rentals to their uh, search results. So I think that could be an interesting move for Airbnb. Yeah, I remember two years ago at the Airbnb Open, they mentioned that growth in Asia was one of their main goals. I haven't seen numbers to support success or, or not in, in that area for the last two years. I see a lot of local competitors trying to emulate the Airbnb business model. And I've seen in other industries, American companies or foreign companies failing without a, a local partner. And I, I wonder if Airbnb is going to go that route or try and you know stick it alone by themselves. Yeah, it's very hard to, especially in countries like China and Brazil as well, where you know, government is fairly involved in a lot of businesses and uh, there tends to be a fair amount of corruption as well. So you, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get businesses going there, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Airbnb is expecting its biggest night ever in South Carolina. And that's because there's going to be a total solar eclipse. Now, I've never seen a total solar eclipse. Have you? I have seen a total solar eclipse in Stuttgart, Germany. It was probably around 2000. And it was amazing. If anyone has the opportunity to see this eclipse, I recommend they, they try and go. It wouldn't surprise me if Airbnb doesn't break a record in, in many states that the eclipse is going to start in Oregon and travel all the way across the United States. So it's going to hit eight or 10 states, I believe. And it's going to happen on August 20th. So there's still plenty of time to find a place to stay if you're interested in seeing the uh, solar eclipse. 
They're saying that they're expecting bookings on Airbnb to be nearly five times higher as usual. That's probably going to increase the price quite a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, the, the, the path of the eclipse is not really transiting any giant metropolitan areas. So the places where the eclipse will be are going to be rural places with you know a hotel or two, which I imagine would quickly fill up, give a lot of local residents an opportunity to rent out bedrooms or entire houses on Airbnb. Yeah. And again, I would encourage anyone to see it if they have the opportunity. And also for hosts who are staying in that area, you know, these are the type of events that you would miss in terms of raising your price. Because, you know, if you're not aware that this thing is going to happen and suddenly, you know, suddenly everybody's raising the prices and your place gets booked like three months in advance and you're wondering, hmm, why do, why do I have a booking? <laughs> uh, this yeah. is how I find out about some of the conferences in Amsterdam. Like I would get bookings for the first week of September, like literally like four or five months in advance. And so I started looking into it and it turns out that's like one of the biggest events in uh, in the country was being held that week. So you know, and the automated pricing apps that you can use, they automatically adjust for these types of events. That way you're always safe. Do you the, use any of the uh, dynamic pricing functions, features, yeah, companies? I've always been using uh, Beyond Pricing. And did it work for you in this case with the conference in Amsterdam? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this was before these apps even existed. I'm talking like, ah. you know, when I started in 2012 yeah. uh, and I was uh, spending uh, you know, several hours a week uh, trying to optimize my prices and using all sorts of formulas and stuff. To, <laughs> it was uh, it was quite challenging. Have you ever tried the Airbnb internal service? I have actually. And, uh, you know, I actually got a question from one of the listeners regarding the uh, smart pricing app. We'll get into that after we're done discussing the news. We have a few more articles to go through. I found a funny article on uh, Business Insider that talks about the morning routine of Brian Chesky, who is the CEO of Airbnb. So I always find it interesting to get a little glimpse into the lives of these, you know, the CEOs of these big companies, because obviously now that their lives are pretty crazy, right? I mean, they have so much to do. They have to be very efficient with their time. And so he has a morning routine. The article states, here's what he does. He makes a list of everything he wants to accomplish that day in the morning. And then he groups all the tasks together. And then he asks himself for each group, what's the one action that could take care of all the different items in the group. You know, and then you repeat that process for each of the groupings. And then you refine that process until you have just a few big tasks that will basically take care of all of the things that you need to do. So if you have a list of 20 things or so, you end up realizing, I actually don't need to do all these 20 things. If I do three big things, then the other 20 things will kind of happen as outcomes. So that's uh, Brian Chesky's morning routine, which is similar to one of the investors on Shark Tank. I don't know if you've heard of Shark Tank. Uh, I find it a pretty interesting show. Yes, sure. You know, people who have ideas, they, they pitch their ideas to a bunch of investors, and it's always interesting to see the responses in their analysis. Her name, Barbara Cochran, she has a similar uh, way to deal with to-do lists. Do you ever use a to-do list? Absolutely. It's critical. I was going to ask if, if the article mentioned if Brian uses any app or software is he using pen and paper or just notes in a computer yeah it doesn't say that do, do you use an app i don't i use notes in a notebook okay old school old school i mean we use software to do uh, features and functions for hostfully and we have projects in that software but for most things i will jot down and out and cross it out when it's over 
hosts. If you're anything like me, you have multiple standard messages you send to every guest. I used to copy paste those messages every time I had a new guest. But then I learned about Aviva IQ and I'm an absolute fan. I copied my repeatable messages into Aviva IQ and told it when I want each message to be delivered. Now, all my guests get personalized check-in messages and personalized check-out messages at the exact time I want them to, automatically. I also use Aviva IQ to send a message to guests when a vacancy exists after their scheduled checkout day and invite them to stay longer. It's amazing how it's turned into free money for me on multiple occasions already. So sign up for free at www.avivaiq.com. You'll be glad you did. Awesome. So let's go into the questions that have been submitted by listeners. I got quite a few this week. So I picked a few. And the first question has to deal with turning in damages. This is a question by Brooke in Get Paid Free Pet Facebook group that you can uh, join if you want. There's a guest who spilled some red wine on a table runner. The, the runner costs $35. I do have a $100 security deposit, but I'm worried that my guest will leave a bad review in retaliation for me taking part of the deposit. That is an, actually brings up an interesting point because I've never been charged any money after I stayed in Airbnb. And you know, now that the host is trying to charge me three hundred dollars, I haven't written my review yet, and it kind of, it kind of makes me feel, yeah, I feel like it's a little unfair. So it kind of influenced my opinion on the, on the host. I haven't decided what I'm gonna do for the review. It's a valid concern, I guess. You know, the question really is, should I ask for that money back or not? What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that you should. I wouldn't want to set a precedent where people think that they can damage a, a listing and, and not have to pay for it. The risk is real for the review, but I think with Airbnb's mediation, you could request that that review be removed because you feel the review is unfair because it gets the, the charge for the damage. It is a struggle. It's something I struggle with myself is when I have a less than five-star experience, what exactly do I do? I want to protect future travelers. I want to help the host become a better host. And yet I feel a little bit guilty about leaving a three-star, two-star, one-star review. Yeah, I think in this case, you know, the, the cost is $35. Uh, the person has a security deposit. And I think there's, I'm not sure if everybody understands how the security deposit works because it actually works different than I thought it did. I've never charged a security deposit myself. I've never really had any significant damages. But when you charge a security deposit, you're not actually guaranteed to receive that money. The way it works is, you know, before the next guest arrives, or within 14 days, you have to request the money and then the guest can choose whether you know, to accept or to decline. And if the guest declines, then Airbnb will mitigate or Airbnb will, will get involved and come to a resolution. So even if you're charging a security deposit, there's, you're not guaranteed to actually get that money. Like if Airbnb investigates, you have to you know, supply documentation and stuff. So for all the hosts out there, if you do have uh, any damages, like make sure you, you take pictures and also make sure to you know, put in your claim immediately before your next guests arrive. And that could be a pretty tight 
time window because I used to have back to back bookings all the time. And so, the, you know, the guests leave, they check out at 12 p.m. and then the next guests arrive at 3 p.m. So, you know, you only have like three hours to put in this uh, security claim. And then if you're remote hosting and you're, you have a cleaning lady, cleaning person, now, you might not even be aware of the damage. It's a bit tricky. But in any case, yeah, I think you should totally, you know, use if, I mean, that's the reason why you're using a security deposit, right? It's because you, you want to be refunded for, for damages. Also, this host is not really making a lot. Like the total amount for the stay was only 120 bucks. So $35. That's, that's like 30% almost of the stay. In my case, when I was staying in New York, I mean, I paid like $3,600. Now, if I break a wine glass, which I actually did, and the host is trying to charge me for it, I mean, <laughs> if I'm paying $3,600 and you break like a $5 wine glass, then I would think that's not really a big of a deal. But if you're losing 30% of the amount that you're receiving, then I, I definitely think you should try to get that damage covered. And I like that reasoning. Yeah, and I wouldn't worry too much about the review. I mean, even if the guest does leave a, re- a bad review, you can respond to it. So you can say like, well, I think the response is based on the fact that I charge for some damages, which you know I think is fair. And you know, I think people also understand that you know, if you have tons of good reviews and then there's one person who leaves a bad review, it's not necessarily going to destroy your Airbnb business. As long as you don't have too many, I think everybody knows that. You know, some people just, you know, it's very hard to satisfy them. Having the odd, like, three or four-star review, I think, is not, it's not really a big deal. I do uh, wonder about the Superhost status, if that is still impacting the status. But my understanding was, at least two years ago, is if you had one negative review and you were a Superhost, they, they would remove you from the program even for one negative review. No, you actually, the way it works is you need to get 80% five-star reviews. Let's say you have uh, 10 guests, 10 groups of guests. 10 reviews, could be more than 10 groups because not, not all groups leave reviews. But let's say you have 10 reviews and you have eight five-star reviews and then two one-star reviews, you're still eligible for the Superhost program. Um, I think what you're referring to is cancellations. Like you can't cancel any reservations. So you cancel one reservation, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be Superhost anymore unless you contact Airbnb and explain them that something happened, like some extreme circumstances. All right, let's move on. We're almost at the end of the podcast, but I have one other question that I wanted to to address. It has to do with the Airbnb smart pricing. This question comes from Nina. She's saying that Airbnb pricing constantly suggests a lower pricing. She feels like it's it doesn't really reflect the optimal price for her listing. And 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 I I think that's correct. I, I've heard this actually a lot. I've noticed it myself as well. The the thing is that Airbnb has two hats on. You know, they have to think about the interest of the guest and the interest of the host at the same time. So they're not really in a good position to to advise on pricing. And so what happens is that they generally recommend a lower price than what would be optimal because they want to keep the interest of the guests. They like to brand Airbnb as a cheaper alternative to hotels. So they also, I think it's also in their interest to sort of, you know, keep the prices a, a little bit on the lower end. Do you have any experiences uh, with that? I have not experienced it, but anecdotally I've heard the same. Oh, heard and the I can same. see how there's a little bit of a conflict for all the reasons that you mentioned. Airbnb wants to steal dollar share from hotels. Uh, and there's a big conflict between those two groups, as the story that we, we mentioned earlier points to. And so you're right, Airbnb does have an incentive to keep the prices low. And I would recommend that your listener who asked the question use a third-party service like Beyond Pricing, and there, there are several others, and see if she feels like the, they're more 
accurate and relevant for her listening. Absolutely. That will be my advice as well. Well, thanks, Noah, for co-hosting this episode with me. And uh, good luck with everything at Hostly. And hope to speak to you again another time. Thank you, Jasper. It was nice speaking with you. All right. And for the listeners, thanks for listening. And of course, Monday, there will be another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. I hope to see you then. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad.